0: It's Muppeturgy with our third season premiere about the Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge episode of The Muppet Show. Ooh,
1: yay. Yeah.
0: Welcome back, everyone. It's been a minute, but we are revived and recharged and happy to be here with you. I'm David Levy.
2: Here with me, as always, are Adam Grossworth,
3: Christy Bauer, and Michal Richardson. <laughs>
2: We are here uh, again after a long hiatus to talk about Season 3, Episode 1 of The Muppet Show. This was produced February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, 1978. Happy David's Um, birthday. Happy David's birthday. birthday. I always forget. Oh, like the day of your birthday. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Exciting. Happy birthday. Uh, Looking at the list for this season, there's only one episode that I can see with a wonky production date, which is helpful. They did take a long break in the middle of the season to make the at movie, so we'll talk about that when we get there. There's also a long break in the air dates near the end of the season, which makes less sense to me than the long break to make a movie, and I'll investigate that when we get there. This episode aired in New York City on November 20th, 1978, and was number 10 in the air order. Um, in case you're new or have forgotten and that was confusing to you, uh, here's a reminder of how this all worked. These episodes of television were produced in a completely different order than they aired, and the show was syndicated, so the air order wasn't necessarily the same everywhere. So the New York City air date is generally considered the official air date in the United States and is what's on Muppet Wiki. It is also where I live, and I subscribe to the New York Times, so that's uh, what I have access to for archives, and it's my primary source. And Muppet Wiki is sometimes wrong. We love them. Very, very much, and oh my god, they're so useful. Um, But every once in a while, the dates are wrong. Disney Plus and the DVDs from the early 2000s, if you have those, are in the production order, and so that's how we're watching, and we'll just explain the numbers when we get there. Since we are at the start of our season, even though we'll be jumping around the calendar, I thought I would take a look at an overview of the 78-79 season from wikipedia another helpful wiki instead of trying to catch things as they come up week by week which i tried to do last season and i failed at it miserably so here are some highlights of new shows premiering in the fall of 78 uh there are obviously a lot more shows than this even with just three networks but these are some ones that jumped out at me either because they stood the test of time or because i found them funny battlestar galactica classic david cassidy colon man undercover that was a (laughs) spinoff of police story which i do not want to watch. Mary, this was Mary Tyler Moore's variety show, uh, which was replaced in the spring by the Mary Tyler Moore Hour. She got upgraded from a half an hour to an hour. Which is weird, because I don't think either of those was particularly successful. Uh, we'll, f- we'll find out next season when I look at the list of shows that got cancelled. Mark and Mindy, The Paper Chase, Taxi, and WKRP in Cincinnati. Again, just a small list of the fall premieres. And then in mid-season, uh, joining the calendar, were The Bad News Bears, BJ and the Bear, unintentional theme. Brothers and Sisters, which was an Animal House ripoff. Delta House, which was a TV show actually based on Animal House. Uh, Different Strokes, one of my all-time favorites. Doctors' Private Lives, really working hard on the title there, guys. Dorothy. Dorothy Banks is a divorced former showgirl who becomes a music and drama teacher at the exclusive Hannah Hunt School for Girls, starring Dorothy Loudon. Release this on streaming immediately, please. I think at least... Some episodes are on YouTube if you look for it, because I've definitely seen it. Amazing. I I didn't have time to look very hard, but I will. Uh, The Dukes of Hazzard, a problematic classic. Um, And The Ropers, the spinoff of uh, Three's Company. Not returning from the 77, 78 season, some classics and some of our favorites. Baby, I'm Back, which has come up weirdly a lot on our show. The Bob Newhart Show. Celebrity Challenge of the Sexes. How did we miss that one? Chico and the Man. Chuck Barris, Ra-Ra Show. How do we miss that one? What is that? I, I don't know. I well, remember, we these. mostly looked at things that aired the same night as The Muppet Show, so I think that's I how know. we missed these. Yeah. And yet. It seems very relevant to our interests. Uh, Columbo, though, of course, that will, that will come back uh, in many forms. Kojak, the short lived Logan's Run, which we have discussed. Maud, Policewoman, Roller Girls, which has weirdly come up our beloved question mark San Pedro beach bums (laughs) Poor one out Uh, sugar time, which just came up at the end of last season for us. It was a rough year for variety shows, uh, leaving us the Betty white show, the Harvey Corman show, the red Fox comedy hour, the Richard Pryor show, the Shills and Yarnell show, the Ted Knight show, the Tony Randall show, and really poor one out for the Carol Burnett show. though of course she's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was also a rough year for cyborgs, the $6 million man and the bionic woman. Both left us. And another one I am sad that we missed the Hanna-Barbera Happy Hour. The show was hosted by two life-size female puppets named Honey and Sis. Honey is a 19-year-old willowy tall blonde who fancies herself a gifted performer, while her 17-year-old red-headed sister Sis is actually the talented one. On each episode, Honey and Sis sang, danced, and participated in comedy sketches such as The Disco of Life, a soap opera parody where they interacted with people at a disco, and The Truth Tub, where they relaxed in a hot tub and parodied TV shows such as Laverne and Shirley and Three's Company. Two bonkers even for
3: 1970. Wow, 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 wow.
0: And I think a key detail here is that this was, I think, designed and directed by Bob Mackey. So, uh... I have not seen what it looks like, but I am picturing it to be
2: fabulous and full of spangles. I did look for this and I couldn't find oh, anything man. and I was real sad. <laughs> so if if listeners, if you if you know where this exists, please tell us.
3: Or if you can teleport us to the 70s, let us know.
1: Oh, nice segue. Small, good blend. Mm. <sighs>
2: All right, so, so there's no good way to do this. In the news, uh, again, once uh, once again, on November 20th, 1978. I, I don't want to get into this because it's bleak, but it is probably the most significant headline that's coincided with one of our air dates so far, so it does feel important to at least read it. Guyana official reports 300 dead at religious sects jungle temple. So if you know, you know, and let's move on.
3: Bit of a downer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, On television, on this actual night, on CBS, following The Muppet Show, Bobby Vinton's Rock and Rollers, Penny Marshall, Eric Estrada, and Stalker Channing take a nostalgic look at rock and roll. Sure, why not? On Channel 9, uh, locally, they're running 1976's Track of the Moon Beast, which I only made note of because of the description. Man turns into a lizard. Nuff said. New York Times is getting sassy. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock on NBC, uh, Counterprogramming to Football, Greatest Heroes of the Bible, Part 2.
1: To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you.
0: Chris Christofferson and Rita Coolidge are recording artists who teamed up on record and in matrimony for most of the 70s. We'll start with Christofferson because he's older and got his start first. Today, he's probably best remembered either as the writer of Me and Bobby McGee or as the male lead in the Streisand iteration of A Star is Born. He was born in Texas in 1936 to a military family, which means he moved around a lot as a kid, graduating high school in the Bay Area. He had success in a number of fields at a young age, writing short stories published in The Atlantic and being lauded for his collegiate athletic achievements in Sports Illustrated. He was Phi Beta Kappa and a Rhodes Scholar. While at Oxford on his roads, pursuing a degree in English literature with ambitions towards becoming a novelist, he had his first stab at a music career, which didn't go very far, and his first marriage to Frances Mavia Beer, which lasted just shy of a decade. He next served in the Army, flying helicopters in Germany and teaching English at West Point. When his service ended, he moved to Nashville, and his music career began in earnest, first finding success as a writer when singer Dave Dudley recorded his Vietnam Blues in 1966. His big break came when he convinced Johnny Cash to record his song, Sunday Morning Coming Down, which earned Christopherson the 1970 Songwriter of the Year Award from the Country Music Association. It was also in 1970 that he had a chance meeting with Rita Coolidge on a flight from LA to Tennessee. More on that in a bit. That same year, he released his first album as a singer-songwriter, although it was his second album in 1971 that really established him as a performing artist. That same year, he made his acting debut in the film The Last Movie, and he won his first Grammy Award. Let's pause here and turn to Rita Coolidge, born in 1945 in Tennessee to a family of Scottish and Cherokee heritage. She grew up in Nashville and in Jacksonville, Florida, and got her start singing in venues around Memphis. She was discovered by the musical duo Delaney and Bonnie, who you might know from the song Free the People. She worked as a backup singer for a number of huge acts, including Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and Joe Cocker. On Joe Cocker's 1970 live album, Mad Dogs and Englishmen, Rita sings lead on the song Superstar, which you probably know from either The Carpenters or Luther Vandross. The song was originally a Delaney and Bonnie number called Groupie, and it's the first of a couple of huge hits that Rita Coolidge was instrumental in creating but received no credit or compensation for. In this case, Rita, at the very least, gave Delaney and Bonnie the idea for the song, musing about the relationship between musicians and their groupies. Rita was similarly denied credit for the Eric Clapton hit Layla. Rita recorded a demo of the song, on which she contributed an original piano coda that persists in the Derek and the Dominoes version. Around this time, she dated Stephen Stills, making her the second Muppet Show guest star with this distinction. But unlike Judy Collins, Coolidge left Stills for Graham Nash, which might have accelerated the 1970 breakup of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Oh uh, shit. Both Stills and David Crosby wrote songs that allude to Coolidge, as did Leon Russell. Okay, back to that fateful airport meet-cute. Chris changed his plans so he could spend more time with Rita, and soon they were an item. Both of their careers were taking off. Rita's first two albums came out in 1971, and by 1973, the pair was married, and in that year, they released their first joint album, called Full Moon, which was certified gold and hit number one on the country chart. This album includes Song I Like to Sing, the duet that Rita and Chris performed on The Muppet Show. They won the 1974 Grammy Award for Best Country Vocal Performance by a duo or group for the song From the Bottle to the Bottom from this album, an award they'd be nominated for two more times, winning again in 1976 for their cover of "Lover Please. This also more or less marked the peak of Chris Christopherson's recording career, although he continued to rack up hits as a songwriter for years to come. They had one child together, Casey Christopherson, but Rita later wrote that after she had a miscarriage in 1977, their marriage deteriorated, made worse by infidelity and substance abuse. They divorced in 1980. I'm not going to say much more about their subsequent careers, except to note a couple of projects that I think are of particular interest to our audience. In 1984, Rita provided the theme song to the James Bond film Octopussy, and in 1986, Rita recorded a duet with Muppeturgy fave Rupert Holmes. The A-side was Touch and Go, and the B-side was a song billed as The Love Theme from The Mystery of Edwin Drood, a.k.a. Perfect Strangers. Rita and Rupert had previously recorded a duet together for the Canadian animated television show The Raccoons, a show for which Rita also recorded a duet with next week's Muppet Show guest star, Leo Sayer. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Chris Christopherson's role as the ghost of Dolly Parton's dead husband in the 2012 musical film Joyful Noise, which also starred Queen Latifah, Kiki Palmer, and Jeremy Jordan. Anyway, both had really interesting lives and careers beyond what we have time to cover here, so if you're intrigued recommend checking out their biographies, or at least their Wikipedia entries. Uh, So who has thoughts about Chris and or Rita?
2: I don't really have thoughts about them, but I will never miss an opportunity to mention that the lyrics to the Octopussy theme are by Tim Rice. Oh, damn
4: it, you beat me to it.
2: (laughs) And to complain that none of those lyrics include the word Octopussy.
4: (laughs) Alas. yeah, It's a pretty good song, though. It's okay. Um, yeah,
2: it's called all time high. high. If you're looking for it, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, kind of all people, Tim Rice could have found a way. <laughs> That's it, though. I have no, I have no thoughts about these people. Yeah, I mean,
0: Chris Christopherson. Like, I am aware of his work as a singer songwriter, but it's just so far from the kind of music that I typically listen to that, like, even the stuff that I know, I know, like me and Bobby McGee, I had to be reminded of when prepping for this. And Rita Coolidge, I actually really like a lot of her songs, but they sort of live in that like collective subconscious of, I was in the car as a child in the late 70s, early 80s, and this was the kind of station that my mom would have the radio tuned to. So I wouldn't necessarily be able to name them as Rita Coolidge songs, but when they pop up, I'm like, oh yeah, I like that song. That's <laughs> nice.
4: Yeah. Yeah, they're contributors to the background fabric of the 70s.
2: I do really like a joyful noise. I will, I will endorse that movie.
4: <laughs> Christopherson's a really good songwriter. I, uh, th- there's an interesting segment about him in the the Ken Burns country music documentary from a few years ago. I, I definitely recommend if, if you find him interesting, looking up the the segment that is sort of about the, the late 60s into the 70s, um, because he's prominently featured.
2: And he's a better actor than you would guess from this episode. He's very. I was about to say he's very charming in this. She is is less so, which I, I think is about the disparity between their acting ability, not not because I don't think she was a lovely human being.
0: Well, also in the fact that their marriage was literally on his last leg. That that may play a role here. Sure. Why
2: don't you get me started? Michal? What'd you think?
3: <sighs> this episode grew on me on rewatch. Um, there's a lot to like about it. And then also it just kind of slips right out of your brain. It, it's fine. Which I'm surprised to hear myself saying, given that it contains some of my favorite Muppet bits, some of my favorite Muppet jokes. And, and hmm. Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge seem to be having a terrific time. And it's fun to watch them having a terrific time. But it's a shame that they don't get much to do and that their songs are kind of boring. Um, and there's a canteen now, which doesn't feel like it adds that much and feels like we were supposed to be saying, Oh wow, there's a canteen now they've expanded the universe, but it's, it doesn't feel like much. There are individual elements of this episode that I enjoyed, but overall it's fine. Christy, how about you? Yeah. I mean, season three, here we are.
4: Here's the thing. I wasn't particularly exciting about this pairing of people. And I think in an earlier season, Rita Coolidge's energy particularly would have dragged this down but I I think by this point the Muppet show is running a tight ship and it shows because I I don't think you really have long enough to dwell on the stuff that drags because the hits keep coming I mean I didn't love this episode but I thought it was an effective delivery mechanism for nonsense which is I think my baseline for enjoying the show (laughs) so I'd give it a B
0: David I don't know. I think it felt long to me. And I think that's because there's so much variety in it that there's no propulsive energy that gets us from one thing to the next. You know, there's not much of a plot to this. And I think even though there've been plenty of Muppet Show episodes behind us that didn't have a plot, the lack of plot in this really drags it down because there's, it just, I don't know, it just, I kept looking at my watch.
2: Yeah, I have, I have very little to add. I, I I agree with everything that all three of you said, even the things that slightly contradict each other. I, I've i talked before about how much I'm looking forward to season three, and so it's a bit of a bummer to start with one that isn't great. But I wasn't mad about it. I think you you can see them trying stuff here, like, right, like the canteen is like, oh, is this a good joke delivery system? Let's try this new character and new setting out and like structurally it's actually very similar to the Elton John episode I thought. And, and I've, I've watched ahead, which I don't usually do. And next week's is too. So that's a little disappointing, but, but I think both of them work better because all the pieces are better to me anyway. And so, you know, it's, it's less disappointing. Also, I think my expectations were a little bit lower and so it's less disappointing. I thought it was fine. I had a good time. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm, still like, like three episodes from now. I'm still really excited. <laughs> we'll get there soon.
1: Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge. 25 seconds to curtain, folks. No problem. We'll be ready. Great. Uh, by
0: the way, I hope you folks don't mind having to share a dressing room.
1: No, not at all. Good. Come on in, guys. You can share Chris and Rita's dressing room. <laughs> <sighs>
3: So as our episode opens, Chris and Rita share a dressing room, not only with each other, but uh, with some Muppet monsters. Uh, In our yay evolution department, well, let's hear this clip. It's
4: the Muppet Show with our very special guest stars, Rita Coolidge and Chris Christopherson. Ah!
3: (laughs) So with our yays fully evolved and firmly in place, I think we can finally shutter our Bureau of Yay Evolution and thank all of our yay correspondents for their service. Still evolving, however, is the Muppet Show theme song, which now has some audience interaction. It's
1: time to get things started. Why don't you get me started? Blah, 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 blah,
3: blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Stettler and Waldorf remain unmoved. There's a whole new shot of a whole new audience. And nobody's dead.
2: And nobody's dead as far as I could tell. And it might even be a whole new set because you see the balcony too and i know that there's been a balcony but it i don't know it looks it looks amazing and the orchestra and the balcony are both quite full and everybody looks fairly alive
4: my eye went straight to mildred who is nodding vigorously
3: (laughs) (laughs) glad she made it through yeah there's some new shots in the opening theme there's an entirely reshot closing theme With some other differences there, feel free to consult the Muppet Wiki and find out who is now sitting in a different order and which Muppets are now wearing hats.
0: Thrilling, really. (laughs) So exciting.
3: We're very grateful to the Muppet Wiki.
4: The greatest thing about the the new closing theme is that uh, they've remixed it so that uh, anytime uh, someone is featured on screen, their instrument is most prominent. Nice. Which is really smart and really fun.
2: I was very distracted, happily so, in the opening by a a chicken wearing a a choker, which may not be new. I may have only just noticed it. But that's my contribution to this conversation, (laughs) about changes or not.
3: And about chicken choking.
2: Well, you know, hey.
3: Anyway. Also in the opening, uh, Gonzo attempts to play his trumpet and gets the hiccups, and it's adorable.
2: It's really
0: cute. I was just relieved that they've stopped recycling Gonzo bits.
3: Uh, I'm sure they anyway. will.
2: Yeah, I'm sure they still will. Yeah, I'm up at your backstage.
3: All right, let's take care of some backstage business. We don't really have a backstage plot or storyline or even a running gag this week, but we do have not one but two attractive guest stars.
4: Uh, Yes, Miss Piggy.
3: I just want to thank you for letting me do this opening number with Chris.
1: Oh,
4: well, that's
3: all right. uh, It's
4: a very sexy number. I hope you won't be jealous.
1: (laughs) Don't worry. Uh, Sure? Positive.
3: Oh.
2: I just really like the performances there.
3: (laughs) Yeah, she's really thrown herself into it, and Kermit is not biting.
2: It's interesting that the um, they don't play this the other way, um, with Piggy being jealous of Rita. And then I realized that Rita doesn't actually perform with anybody. I mean, she performs a solo with Muppets around her. They sing. They, they do back. Yeah, up. no, I, I know. But she doesn't interact with them in any way. And she performs with Chris. And I guess she she has like a little bit of dialogue with Gonzo. But it, and I just wonder if that's a, just a limitation of her... As an actor, that they were like, "Well, we could do a thing with her and Kermit and Piggy could get jealous," but actually, no, we can't.
3: <laughs> yeah, she does okay.
2: But she's fine. She's fine. Like, she's not an actor. She's a singer. Like, it's fine. It's mm-hmm. just interesting to note that. I, I don't know. Maybe it's not interesting at all. But and also like that, this is the year that they're making the Muppet movie. That like this Kermit Piggy evolution is happening. Also,
3: we have a little bit of backstage business with the two of them.
1: It it, it shows that you can combine show business careers and marriage.
0: Well, I I suppose it does, yes. But
1: you know, we both have show business careers. That's true. Mm Mm-hmm. Need I say more? (laughs) Miss Piggy, I I
0: really have to go introduce Rita Coolidge.
1: Yes, dear. I just wanted you to think about it.
4: I don't have time to think about it.
1: Maybe six months in the hospital will give you more time to think. (laughs) I do think about it.
3: Thank <laughs> you. Uh, Piggy's really throwing herself into this performance, but also that results in some real unpleasant Piggy this week.
4: She's very unpleasant, but she looks great. True. <laughs> She's wearing this outfit, this like black dress with like a floral print on it and a purple boa. And it's just like, you know, late seventies eleganza. I'm into it. <laughs>
3: yeah. Her hair is inconsistent this week, but there are a couple of scenes where it looks incredible.
0: Well, when she first appears, like from behind the curtain, she's got it in an updo, which is just absolutely fabulous.
2: Oh, we're going to talk about the updo later. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very important updo.
3: Excellent. Uh, We also have a little backstage bit with mostly just the two guest stars talking to each other, but they are not alone in their dressing room.
1: Hey, Rita, we got to talk about something. Are you alone? Yes. Are you sure?
3: Sure, I'm sure, Chris.
1: You don't see anybody, do you? No, but around here it doesn't make any difference. Everything on this show walks and talks. (laughs) Animals, vegetables. Don't forget about the minerals. (laughs) You heard me, Buster. Uh, Would you mind... Leaving us alone for a while. Oh, sure Sure. thing. Come on, gang. Oh, they want to be alone. (laughs) Rita, this is a very weird show.
2: Fun fact that Rock is Rocco's dad.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Another fun fact um, among the inanimate objects like the umbrellas and umbrella stands leaving is uh, the hat rack. Uh, who was credited as a writer on the Peter Ustinov episode of the Muppet Show. Chris and Rita look pretty nice.
2: Uh, well, Chris looks cold. I- <laughs> Chris, Chris is popping out of that shirt.
3: I thought he filled it out nicely.
2: He, but he yes. did. And also. And also. <laughs> it's also a very gauzy. There's a whole 70s thing happening with that, whatever material that shirt is made out of.
3: It, it is very 70s. It
2: was distracting.
3: <laughs> so I guess it's time to tell you that uh, most of the backstage action this week takes place not on the backstage set, but in fact in the canteen. The Muppet Theater has a canteen now, which also means it's time to introduce you to Gladys, the canteen lady.
1: Hey, Gladys. Yeah, dear? What's the soup, the jar? Same as yesterday. <laughs> Good. I'll have that and the chicken. Now, how do you want your chicken? Baked, broiled, or barbecue? I want the chicken for company. <laughs> I hate to eat alone. For a second there, I thought you was one of them weirdos. I still do.
0: Have we heard Gonzo referred to as a weirdo before? Or is that Is this where that gets coined? I mean, not sure as it's a species, already.
1: But I it Seems well, like I don't the... mean as a
0: species, but certainly like it, it it becomes like an important identity marker for for Gonzo, but I don't remember if we've heard that particular term used for him yet.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think
3: we have. But also for Muppets at large. Yeah, it feels new.
0: I'm sure that's just like a Jim Henson word, you know?
3: One of them weirdos. There's some other backstage business that happens at the canteen this week. I'd rather not listen to Gladys calling Miss Piggy's order the Fatso special or listen to Miss Piggy kick a cart of food at Annie Sue just for ordering a milkshake, but... Yeah, that happens too.
2: Yeah, it's not great. It's
0: also weird that we have the introduction of what will become a running gag where Miss Piggy gets Annie Sue's name wrong constantly because she's not important enough for Miss Piggy to know her or because Miss Piggy wants to make her feel that way. But we've never actually been given Annie Sue's actual name yet. So that joke does not register.
3: I mean, she calls her Annabelle, which could be what Annie Sue's name is or some of it.
2: So, I looked this up. We will meet Annie Sue next week. Uh, We've seen the puppet before, but not really met her as a character. And, uh, spoiler, in next week's episode, she is the backstage plot. And this rivalry gets established. But even in the air order, this episode aired 10th in New York, and the Leo Sayer episode aired 12th. So, no one, uh, at least in, in New York and most U.S. markets, has properly met suit. I mean probably there are other episodes that aired out of order where where this has happened before, but her establishing story is, is yet to come. So it's it's just weird uh, all around. It's also I don't want to dwell on this, but it like it is this thing Miss Picky's order is really weird given that we have clearly established that she is not on a diet and does not want to be on a diet and should not be on a diet. Highly out of character. That's all. I got kind of mad about it actually.
3: I mean, I was more mad that, well, maybe there's more to be revealed about Annie Sue next week that will explain why Piggy just shoves a cart at her just for ordering food. But, eh.
2: I mean, well, yeah, she hates her. And I think that's. Isn't that enough? I guess. Yeah. Can we think talk that, about the Gladys Sorry. <laughs> yes, please. Let's talk about Gladys.
3: Yeah, she's let's terrified. Talk about the Gladys
2: I hate her so much. <laughs> she looks like. A racist
0: caricature, but of not any specific race. Like, like it's, she's just got very exaggerated features that feel like they should be offensive, but they don't actually add up to any particular stereotype. They just are terrifying.
4: She kind of looks like if the lady gremlin got sucked into a vacuum cleaner and then pulled out. <laughs>
2: I, at first thought, I thought that she, her head was the gay pride Langolier from season one. It's not. I checked. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but it's that vibe. It's so the in giant case mouth. So anybody
3: has not watched this episode and doesn't plan to, <laughs> she's kind of all mouth. There's a very sculpted mouth with very sculpted teeth. And then there's and lips. a frizzy gray wig. Yeah. And very prominent lips. There's a frizzy gray wig just plopped on top of the rest of her head with bedazzled glasses plopped on top of that and then kind of a little scrunchie plopped at the top of the i guess that's supposed to be like a cafeteria lady
2: outfit a hairnet oh maybe yeah and no eyes and no eyes and not like scooter's eyes that are on the glasses they're just glasses over nothing i think that's the problem i think the problem for me is a combination of i don't i have i think we've we figured this out i don't like Muppet teeth like a- animals, an exception, but you know what I mean? Like humanoid muppet teeth, especially on an eggplant, but th- it's it's a problem. And then, like, combine that with the lack of eyes, it's really weird.
3: It is. And even though it, it works for Dr. Bunsen Honeydew to not have eyes, you can still have eye focus, I guess, when you have glasses. You can focus the glasses on the camera or another character, but the fact that her glasses are just sitting in front of her hair maybe her makes her. Yeah, all
0: you know, I don't notice freaky. it on Bunsen. That's true. Because I think it makes her look like she's squinting, whereas for him, it just it gives the impression of like you know, like a like an undersketched cartoon character, where like your brain sort of fills in the eyes, even though they're not there.
3: Mm-hmm. Whereas she looks like a monster. Yeah,
2: I'm actually right. I'm actually looking at the um, Muppets character encyclopedia right now, which is a, a fairly recent um, publication. So I, I don't give it you know too much weight for Muppet Show era things. But one of the things it says is once considered using contact lenses, but couldn't locate her eyes.
1: <laughs> right.
2: She I don't find that helpful
3: to learn. She doesn't have any eyes.
4: <laughs> the one thing I like about Gladys is she has a giant name necklace. And I, as a fellow named necklace person,
2: Serving Carrie Bradshaw before Carrie Bradshaw was well, Carrie Bradshaw. You'll be delighted to know, also from the Muppet Character Encyclopedia, that her name used to be Sally, but she changed it after she found a good deal on a necklace.
3: <laughs> just in case she forgets her own name, I'm glad she has a quick reference. That's the trick. I
4: can never find my name spelled correctly on things in souvenir shops. I just need to change my
3: name. I've been doing it wrong all this time, looking for Michal on tiny license plates.
0: One thing I do like about this whole canteen setup is that there's now an intercom system backstage at the Muppet Show. So you hear Kermit calling for whatever the next act needs to be ready to go on stage. So between the new intercom and the existence of the canteen and the much fuller audience, you really get the sense that the Muppet Show is doing better financially than it was in the past. Like maybe they can actually meet payroll now. Where do we think the canteen is I just assume the
2: basement. I don't know why I assume that. Well, there is a, a like a, a high-up window, so that, that tracks.
3: I hope it's not too far from the stage, because like, Gonzo yeah. is ordering dinner, and he's on next.
0: I don't think the building is big enough for anything to be all that far from the stage.
3: Yeah. There's something about
4: 70s TV where it's like, I don't know, this reminded me of on... on Are you being served? Everybody would go to lunch at the same time in the department store cafeteria and they never answered the question of who was minding the store when they were there. So
2: (laughs) I do like that the the intercom means that we hear about acts that we don't see, which I also appreciate.
3: Yeah, we learned that
2: there's a dog act. Yeah, I like that. Uh, speaking of are you being served, uh, not really, but but British things. Um, (laughs) nice segue. The things. There's a there's a squeeze bottle at one point, like one of those like ketchup mustard bottles, that's clearly labeled salad cream, which just struck me as a deeply, deeply British thing that stood you out. I think as, that it's
3: salad that has been creamed and is now in a squeeze bottle.
2: I assume it's salad dressing. I didn't think to look it up. <laughs> but I, I think can. you're probably
3: right. Let's hear one more Gladys clip before we go on. My
1: compliments to the chef. Hey, he says he liked it. Who are you talking to? The short order cook. (laughs) This place takes itself so literally. Yeah, of course it does. Hey, you want to see our apple turnover? Sure. Hey, apple, turnover. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey. I might just slide by later and take a look at the salad dressing. (laughs)
3: Uh, Muppets are great.
2: Yeah, and somehow Floyd can get away with being a little bit creepy. Doesn't bother me.
3: I mean it bothers me a little bit, but I'm glad about the shorter to cook joke. Yeah.
2: Solid cream is a creamy pale yellow
0: condiment based on an emulsion of about twenty to fifty percent oil and water, emulsified by egg yolk
2: and acidulated by spirit vinegar. It's basically mayonnaise. It's a slightly right. different slightly different ratio of egg to vinegar. Right. Wikipedia compares it to Miracle Whip.
1: Wonderful.
4: Well, as befits an episode with two singers with guest stars, we run the gamut with songs this week. But we start on a, an uncomfortably sexy note.
1: Come and lay down by my side, right. till the early morning light. All I'm taking is your time. Take it! Help me make it through the night. (laughs) Chrissy! You don't care who's right or wrong! I don't try to understand.
4: So this is Help Me Make It Through The Night, which is a Chris Christopherson original. He wrote and released it in 1970 and uh it was also covered that same year by sammy smith who had a bigger hit with it her version went to number one on the country chart and number eight on the hot 100 and she won the grammy for best female country vocal performance with it and it's been recorded by a lot of people it was recorded by elvis loretta lynn gladys knight and the pips mariah carey but the funniest thing i discovered about this song is uh, relevant to our interests. Uh, Chris Christopherson said that he got the inspiration for the song from an Esquire magazine interview with noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra. Excellent. Uh, When asked what he believed in, Frank replied, booze, broads, or a Bible, whatever helps me make it through the night. Okay. Keep it classy, Frank. (laughs) I found this pretty delightful, as bizarre and weird
3: as it is.
2: It's it's basically the same bit as don't go breaking my heart from the Elton John episode, but it's a good bit.
3: Including Piggy smooching the guest star on the chest repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's a line with muppet to human sexuality that this maybe crosses for me when Chris takes her scarf off of Piggy because it implies that he's going to strip her further and that was when I was sort of like, nope, nope. Well, uh, yeah.
2: Nope. And we talked about the updo, so it, it starts with him taking her hair down. It it is a lot.
3: <laughs> it's rather intimate to to undo that headscarf. More intimate than him full on kissing her at the end. But how does
4: this compare to say the baby it's cold outside and the sauna with Nureyev? <laughs>
0: well, I think it's different when the human is the the top in the situation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean,
4: sure, but he also like can't keep a straight face through the entire process. Like he's True. breaking pretty much the entire time.
2: I yeah, he has to be singing live, right? Like I oh, feel like they almost definitely. always they always yeah. almost lip sync, but there's no way.
3: Yeah, I wondered if they had pre recorded it and then just ended up using this take because it was so much funnier and because it wouldn't have matched the recording because he kept laughing.
0: I thought it was interesting. They filmed this on the set with the electric mayhem in their sort of like typical, like vertical metal stage setup, uh, But the mayhem was, was pretty far back behind Chris and piggy and the camera didn't move very much. So for most of it, their bodies are blocking Zoot and Janice. Like I, I didn't even know that Janice was there until I noticed her shadow. And then I like was like, Oh, where's that shadow being cast from? And, and then caught like the side of her body peeking out from behind him. You don't see Floyd at all, but I sort of imagine that Jerry is back there puppeteering him just in case anyway. So it's interesting. I think it, it speaks a lot to both like their process and their verisimilitude in performing, but also probably they, I wonder if they had blocked out a different set of camera movements and then for whatever reason just went with the tight front on shot, because that captured it better. Like, I don't know. It, it was just like, there were some interesting choices here that I would like to think a little more about.
3: Yeah. It was a little bit of a bummer because you know, you, you see the mayhem when they open the number and you expect it to be a mayhem number. And it's really not, I mean, I'm not complaining about what we did get, but it was, I feel misled.
4: Well, we will definitely get wow. our fill of the mayhem later in the episode.
1: Wonderful. 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 <laughs>
4: This is a throwaway reference to song from the movie Hans Christian Andersen, a Frank Lesser song. And if that sounds familiar, it's because uh, that movie is also the source of the song in twirm.
1: Wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen Friendly old girl of a town Neath her tavern light On this merry night Let us click and drink one
2: So I discovered when I googled this that um, "Wonderful Copenhagen" is uh, to this day Copenhagen's tourism slogan. Uh, And if you go to wonderfulcopenhagen.dk, there's a a pop-up asking if you will accept cookies on their website with a picture of those Danish butter cookies.
1: I
4: love
2: that. That was very cute, adorable, and it made me want those Danish butter cookies.
4: So cute. Yeah. Thrillingly for some of us, we have the the return of Wayne.
3: Wayne. I'm thrilled.
0: I just got really sad that in the 90s, they didn't get Dana Carvey to come on Muppets Tonight and have this Wayne and Dana Carvey do their own version (laughs) of Wayne's World. Oh. Oh.
2: Damn. The canteen feels very Muppets Tonight to me. Yeah. In in a not great way. (laughs) Exactly.
4: (laughs) Speaking of not great... uh (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs>
4: uh, the so this song my wild irish rose was written by a guy named chauncey olcott for a musical called a romance of athlone athlone who knows somebody knows if if, if you know let us know uh from 1899 um and he was an irish american actor singer and songwriter who got his start in minstrel shows Boo! but then he went and studied singing in london and came back to broadway and became broadway's Go-to guy for Irish and Irish-adjacent stuff. <laughs> yeah, w- before we started recording, we were talking about this, and David, I believe you referred to this bygone genre as exploitation.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm a big fan.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, Chauncey Olcott's uh, other uh, songwriting claim to fame is the song When Irish Eyes Are Smiling. And there's actually one of those mid-century uh, biopics about this guy, from 1947, called You Guessed It, My Wild Irish Rose.
0: (laughs) It is $9.99 on DVD, and I will be ordering it.
4: (laughs) Please keep us posted.
0: (laughs) So, I think the return of Wayne really just speaks to Richard Hunt wanting to have opportunities to show that he could sing in a real voice and not just sing as Scooter. That's my guess. Or somebody
3: else wanted that for him. Right. He might not have been the one campaigning for it.
0: But it's interesting that uh, you know he's also the voice of Gladys so we get two very different sides of Richard Hunt in this episode that does not feature Scooter.
3: It's True. It's Kermit making all those announcements over the intercom. So Rita gets a moment in the spotlight.
1: Your seasons to the way and holy day a holy-
4: So this is a song called We're All Alone that was written by Boz Skaggs in 1976. Fun fact about Boz Skaggs, he and I share a birthday. Oh, uh, it's always the first thing I think of when I see <laughs> him mentioned. Um, yeah, we, we share that birthday with Barbara Bush, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, and uh, Kanye West. Right? Uh, <laughs> what it a dinner party!
0: The <laughs> pop star most likely to be confused for a Star Wars villain.
2: <laughs> I mean, him or what? Kanye. <laughs>
4: Yeah, a Star Wars villain or a um, a drinking establishment, the Boz Skaggs Cantina. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. So this song actually had several successful versions. The Boz Gags version was a, a B-side, but it charted in Australia. Um, and around the same time, Frankie Valley recorded a version that went to n- number 78 on the Hot 100. But uh, Rita Coolidge's version was the most successful. Hers went to number seven on the Hot 100 and number one on the adult contemporary chart was on her 1977 album Anytime, Anywhere, which she recorded on a and Records. Do you guys remember the Muppet connection for A&M Records? I do. <laughs> Their uh, headquarters uh, later became the Jim Henson Studios. Oh, right. Yeah. And yeah, this is uh, Rita singing in the Forest of Despair with a bunch of repurposed Muppets critters from uh, Emmett Otter. It's very... Dull. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I fully fell asleep.
4: Yeah, I have this Pavlovian response to like adult contemporary songs from the seventies and early eighties where mm-hmm. the child part of my brain kicks in and I immediately think I am up past my bedtime. Like I can hear the sax solo from Jerry Rafferty's Baker Street at three o'clock in the afternoon. I will think. <laughs> I need to be in bed right now. The adults are having a party. <laughs>
3: <laughs> an adult contemporary party.
4: It, exactly. Exactly. I am not an a, enough of an adult to uh to be this contemporary. To be yeah. contemporary.
0: I just wish there was a little more to look at here cuz like it's it's a lovely song and the muppets singing back up adds a nice texture to it but but like the woodland creature muppets on the woodland set just looks like one of those dioramas at the natural history museum so there's <laughs> like, like my brain just shuts
2: off you know it would have been great if halfway through some hunters had run on <laughs> 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 tried to kill those woodland creatures not successfully <laughs> just to shake it up
4: yeah just to piss off that guy and was it field and stream magazine yeah,
2: yeah just to break it up for a second and then yeah. go back to the song
4: i mean also uh,
0: not to analyze the lyrics too closely because I don't think these are the kind of lyrics you're meant to pay attention to at all, but a song that's about we're all alone presumably is a song about wanting to have sex but here is she singing that to woodland creatures?
4: (laughs) I have that question She's singing it to her
3: love. Which of them is her love is uh, up to the viewer to determine.
4: Yeah, it's also really hard to close a window in the
2: forest. (laughs) Or is she meant to be all alone when she's, but she's not? She's surrounded by. Yeah. She's waving through a window.
1: A frog, he would a woo and go. Hey ho, sir, Rolly. Whether his mother would let him or no, the roly poly Hey ho, sir, Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so He came to sweep this mousey's his hall. Hey ho, said Roly. He gave a loud knock and
4: he gave a loud call. The Roly Po. Hey, and never do get rid of and Roly. Charming. Thank you. Thank you. So this is Ralph and Sam performing to varying degrees of competency the song "A Frog He Would A Wooing Go." which is a 17th century English folk song, which is a variant of Froggy When a Courtin', which is a different song with a different melody and different words, but the same general idea that appeared in the Muppet Valentine's show. So, yeah, they they were really
3: cataloging frog content frog in the public domain. hoarding of Miss Mousy content.
0: I thought this was adorable.
3: Yeah, what? I love that Sam didn't know the words. <laughs>
0: Sam attempting to sing along while not knowing the words is exactly what I did during the previous song. <laughs> when it was <laughs> an adult contemporary song that I was like, oh yeah, this song. And then I actually don't know a single word to it, but I kind of know yeah. the melody.
3: Ready, oh, ready, oh, ready. Right, like I yeah, know ready, the ready, <laughs> Yeah, I know the cadences, but... Yeah. I, I couldn't figure out whether I had heard that song before or whether I had just heard other adult contemporary songs that were not that. <laughs> anyway this song is great
2: apparently they heard us being worried about the shaky candelabra because there is now uh what appears to be a large amount of packing tape holding it onto the piano <laughs> still, still shaky. shaky I just assume well the whole the whole piano is shaky I <laughs> I just assume that that this could not be seen in HD but oh, it is a lot of packing tape <laughs> or something uh, cling wrap I don't know it's it's but it's like, it's so shiny. Like, I don't know how it wouldn't have read on camera even back then. It's wild.
4: Speaking of wild, we get a flat out repeat song.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Only, Um, only if you're British though.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we get in, in a non UK spot, we get the UK spot from last season's Madeline Kahn episode, which is Floyd's, uh, really pitchy terrible uh rendition of Billy Joel's New York State of Mind. And uh yeah, I enjoyed it even less than I did the first time. <laughs> Same. I mean th- the only thing that I can say is going for this particular segment is there are a lot of extreme close ups. So there are plenty of opportunities to contemplate the silky floofiness of Floyd's eyebrows.
3: I will always love hearing Floyd sing. I guess I'm willing to forgive A little bit of pitchiness, just to. I don't think he's always pitchy.
2: I think this was unusually bad flight performance. Uh, Since it is a new season, I I feel we should just quickly explain, in case we have new listeners. The uh, the UK spot, the show aired with commercials in the states and without them in the UK. So
0: fewer commercials in the with
2: fewer. That's right. That's right. We did get corrected on this. Uh, With fewer commercials in the UK, so it had to be longer. So um, in our in our current streaming world, we get the whole show, which includes an extra bit that did not air in the States. So in this episode,
0: it was the Rolf and Sam bit. That was just for the UK.
2: And now we know.
1: Well, I didn't think I'd live to see it, but for once they've given us something other than second-rate entertainment. What's that? Third-rate entertainment. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so we get a performance of a song from a chicken that is so kind of like blinking. and you'll Miss it, that it. I, we won't blame you if you didn't manage to catch it as an actual song.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, that's, that's it? it? Yeah. Oh, I, I literally did blink and I missed it. Also, yeah. if you didn't know what song they're supposed to be doing, it definitely sounds like they're doing Frère Yeah. Huh.
4: Yeah, the timing on it definitely does it no favors. So this is For Me and My Gal, which is a song from 1917. Shout out yet again to the public domain. Song written by George W. Meyer, Edgar Leslie, and E. Ray Goats. And it was originally popularized by the vaudeville duo Van and Skink. <laughs> I mostly just wanted to just say untight. Skink. <laughs> um, and uh, it's uh, known to more modern audiences largely thanks to a 1942 movie of the same name, starring Judy Garland and Gene Kelly.
0: It's a great film. It holds up. Highly recommend it if you like World War II kitsch. Sorry, World War I kitsch.
3: This is a fun sketch. I like the sound of a chicken getting hit in the head with, what is this instrument?
2: Uh, Tubular bells, I believe is the official name of the
3: Tubular bells. Well, the sound of a chicken getting hit in the head with a tubular bell swinging, swinging back at that chicken. (laughs) Is <laughs> pretty entertaining. So for me, and I suspect f- for several of
4: you, uh, th- the next number is the highlight of this episode. Hi, diddle-dee-dee, that is life for me. A high silk hat and a silver cane, a watch of gold with a diamond chain. Hi, diddle-dee-doo. You sleep till
1: after two. You promenade with a big cigar. You tour the world in a private car. You dine on chicken and caviar. An actor's life for me! Okay, what happens now? Oh, now comes the funny part.
4: So this is An Actor's Life for Me, which is a song from Disney's Pinocchio. Music by Lee Harline. Lyrics by Ned Washington. It's from 1940. And I, I learned a few interesting things about Both of these gentlemen, Lee Harline was a Mormon and he provided the music for the first transcontinental radio broadcast to originate from the West Coast in 1931. And it was that particular event that brought him to the attention of Walt Disney. I found on the D23 website, because both of these guys are now designated Disney legends, so there are pages about them. There's a picture of Lee Harline and Walt Disney and a couple of other guys with penguins, and Walt Disney is looking so intently at this penguin in his hands. It's incredible. <laughs> it's very funny and very random. Anyway, we'll have it in our show notes. And Ned Washington, the lyricist, was a two-time winner of the Best Song Oscar, one of which he won for uh, with Lee Harline for a different song from Pinocchio, You Wish Upon a Star. And he also won for High Noon, Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, from high noon and other lyrics by him included my foolish heart on green dolphin street, the nearness of you, the songs in Dumbo and the theme from Rawhide. And I just, it made me realize that a human wrote the lyrics to the theme from Rawhide.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and that that same human wrote the songs from Dumbo. Oh, yeah. Catalog? When
2: Roman you wish Roman upon a star, Roman. which will appear in a future, one of my favorite Muppet show episodes.
3: Yeah. Th-
4: and also this is the first ever Disney villain songs. So that's pretty cool.
2: It always
0: creeps me out a little bit to hear the Muppets sing Disney songs. More so now because now it's just like gross corporate synergy. Then at least it was, you know, like talent recognizing talent.
2: But it's a little too cross the streams for me. It's weird to me that this is a Disney song. I mean, I've watched Pinocchio fairly recently, but but I still always forget. It just feels like so in the fabric of, but like, but separate from the source material in a way that, say, when you wish upon a star is not.
3: But we've also heard Muppets sing "There's no business like show business," and that's entertainment. And this is kind of the same theme.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, for whatever cover. reason, Disney songs feel branded to me in a
2: way that MGM
0: songs don't.
2: Did I wonder if they did then to the to the contemporary audience? I, d- okay. I don't. That's a genuine question. I don't know. They obviously, I understand why they do now. It, like, I could take or leave the song, but then. Then this happens, and, and we, we've talked off mic already that this is this is a very formative joke for, for both me and Michal, and, and I, I don't... Christy and David, you didn't chime in, but you I'm sure you will in a minute. Um, but let's hear it first.
1: Okay, now, now ask me what I'm carrying the fish for. Oh, Fuzzy, what are you carrying the fish for? Oh, just for the halibut. <laughs> uh, you were better off leaving the stage.
3: I love this so much.
2: <laughs> like I, I say this to this day in real life all the time.
3: Yeah, and not even when fish are involved.
2: No, I find excuses.
3: You can just use it for the hell of it whenever you want.
2: I do. I, I do, and I, and I will, and I have. It has, it has stuck with me for forty years.
3: Yeah, it's one of the most muppety things that have ever muppeted. I just want
4: to give a shout out to the return of Fozzy's wiggling ears. <laughs>
3: Mm-hmm. I missed them. Yeah, which we were told had been removed from the puppet. And this is definitely not the Season 1 puppet at all. We were told that that puppet was too heavy, and they removed some of the mechanisms. And But he still wiggles his ears, so I don't know what's going on. Well,
0: maybe in the interim, they figured out a way to make that happen without taking up as much space.
3: Maybe. Fozzie being the biggest ham in in the universe is pretty great.
2: And like Rolf's like loving exasperation is, it's just, it's just everything about it is so, is so sweet and funny. And, you know, again, breaking news, (laughs) Jim Henson and Frank Oz good at this.
3: Yeah. Good at their jobs. And yeah, the way Rolf says, Oh, Fozzie, what are you carrying the fish for? As though he's had to do this dozens, if not hundreds of times Mm -hmm. and just has endless patience for Fozzie being ridiculous. It's wonderful.
4: And the delight of, one of
3: the lesser
4: used Jim Frank pairings. We don't get enough of Fozzie and Ralph and we should. Indeed. So speaking of pairings, <laughs> our, our closing number is a Chris and Rita
1: duet. We can get to know each other Like a sister and a brother Like a father and a mother Like a woman and a man We can sing along together Just enjoy until it's over It don't need to last forever if we
4: wanted to change. Oh boy, I have a lot of questions about the logic of these lyrics. Me
1: too!
0: (laughs) I think it's meant to be escalating, and not like these things are equivalent, but like it gets closer and closer. Like, sister and brother know each other in one way, mother and father know each other in a closer, more intimate way, and then like a man and a woman I think implies uh, an even deeper, further intimacy. That's my charitable reading of it.
4: That's okay. very charitable. Sure. So yeah, so, so these uh, lyrics of questionable logic are from a song called Song I'd Like to Sing, which, sure, it's uh, <laughs> a, another Chris Christopherson original from 1973, and it was put out by Chris and Rita on their duets album, Full Moon. And I don't necessarily enjoy the song or the performance of the song, but the <laughs> setting of it is so great. They're in like a like a bar sort of, and the mariachi band from the John Cleese episode are backing them up, and all of the Muppet monsters are there like drunk bar dancing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I went out on Mardi Gras, and it was the first time I'd been out with w- like people were out to uh, like an outdoor market where there was a, like a new Orleans restaurant and they had a live band and there were all of these like drunk middle-aged people dancing. And I just hadn't been around that in a long time. And so seeing this, I was like, Oh, it's the middle-aged people at Mardi Gras.
3: Um, (laughs) Just kind of swaying drunkenly.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Like, but feeling themselves, you know,
3: (laughs) Mean Mama is feeling herself.
4: Mean Mama
0: is being uh, increasingly, and aggressively feminized by the Muppet Workshop, she has uh, some new uh, hair accoutrement, and uh, it's it's interesting to watch this change. I don't I don't know. I mean, listen. I think she should be able to express herself however she wants to. But I liked that she was able to be like an aggressive monstrous monster without having to have like big lady eyelashes before, and so I'm a little sad about it.
3: She's made some changes. I hope she's feeling good about them. You do you, mean mama. I got the feeling there was supposed to be more story here where the, the Muppet monsters start out sitting down and then are by the end are drunkenly dancing around Chris and Rita. But maybe you're right that the, the drunken swaying dance is all that's supposed to happen. And that's now that you've told me your Mardi Gras story, I I feel better about the progression of the sketch.
2: You think that, Christian Reader, Rita were supposed to approach the monsters and be like, we saw you from across the bar. We like your vibe.
3: Come join us on stage. I don't know. We want <laughs> to get to know like... you like
2: a sister and a brother. Oh, my gosh.
3: <laughs> like a mean mama and a luncheon counter monster.
4: Never
1: mind that jazz. Listen, turkey.
3: What? and get out of show business. All right. Let's address a little bit of show business before we close this episode out. So we didn't clip Gonzo's. Feat of Mathematical Dexterity, uh, because it's mostly visual, in which the great Gonzo recites the seven times table while standing on a hammock while concurrently and at the same time balancing a piano over his head, except when he lets go of it to count on his fingers. I just want you to know, even though this is mostly visual and we didn't clip it, the piano hovers in the air for a perfectly satisfying pause before landing on Gonzo nose first and then flattening him.
0: It's great Looney Tunes energy.
3: It's great.
0: When this bit starts, Kermit is introducing it and is like, oh, uh, is he ready yet? And you hear a stage man who first says, no, not yet. And then he says, okay, now was ready. And it sounds just like Cookie Monster. And we never see the stage hand. So I have decided that Cookie Monster is there doing some kind of like <laughs> after-school internship. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Love Helping it. Helping out of the stage crew.
4: Working for cookies.
2: I was very distracted by the fact that this whole thing is weirdly chroma keyed or superimposed or something gonzo's in a spotlight in front of a curtain but the inside the spotlight and outside the spotlight are not the same shot which i assume is so that they didn't have to deal with hiding dave goals or whatever's holding up the piano so i get it but like the hammock just stops at the edge of the spotlight
3: it's a little odd, but you're mostly looking at the piano and gonzo.
2: Yeah, I didn't notice. Yeah. I I was not mostly looking at the piano and gonzo because I was so distracted by the way the hammock <laughs> just stopped into the spotlight. And like they could have just made it dark or they could have made it black instead of making it visible. Yeah. Which is not how, you know, spotlights work. Like they don't make the things outside of them disappear completely unless it's the only light source. So like I understand the like technologically, why they why they did that? But I I found it really weird.
3: That's fair. It is a little odd that there's a curtain inside the spotlight that does not line up with the curtain yeah. outside. Also, that yeah, the
2: curtain doesn't line up, and the hammock vanishes. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Muppet magic. Exactly.
3: Meanwhile, Muppet Labs has some welcome relief for what Bunsen refers to as short stubby people like Beaker here. Which okay, the solution is atomic elevator shoes.
1: And so the Atomic Elevator's shoe has one tall inches to Beaker's unfortunate physique. Beaker, you never
4: told me you wore stripy socks. That's all for today from Muppet
1: Labs. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was the sound of Beaker first just getting taller but then he realized that the elevator shoes are not just raising him up off the ground they are stretching his legs out so what you see are beaker's stretched out stripy socks which rise above the frame and then fall in opposite directions i <laughs> don't know how that works out for beaker
4: this is maybe my all time favorite muppet labs the stripy socks just kill me
2: <laughs> are those real or i mean real are they <laughs> Are Beaker's legs, is it practical or is it an effect? I actually couldn't tell because of the stripes. The stripes create a weird optical illusion.
3: He really does wear stripey socks, so.
2: Yes. I thought it was practical. It probably was. I, it was a weird, I was having a weird. And then after the Gonzo thing, I, it broke my brain.
3: <laughs> yeah, they looked a little fuzzy. I thought maybe it was an effect.
2: Uh, It is worth noting this is a new Muppet Labs set. They appear to be on some kind of university campus now. We can see out the window that uh, there are some buildings. uh, And also a new little Muppet Labs theme. That was exciting.
3: Glad they got some funding. Let's close this out with a Muppet News Flash.
1: This is an update on the Henderson Burglary. Police have recovered all the stolen property except the silverware. It has disappeared into thin air!
3: (laughs) (laughs) And then it reappeared. The end. What a show. (laughs) (laughs) Muppets are great.
2: Uh, Does anyone have final thoughts about this episode? I really, I did, I liked this episode better than I feel like it sounded like. I liked this episode. I mean, it's not my favorite, but... I don't think any of us disliked the episode. I think
0: it just... I, I think... Part of it is that we expect a season opener to be a little more dazzling. Right. I and of course, the... this wasn't even necessarily really a season opener. It didn't air as
2: the season opener. Right. I think there's a reason that it aired 10th.
0: Right. No, they can improve the
1: whole show if they just change the ending. How? Oh, put it closer to the beginning. Oh.
2: Uh, Since it's our season opener, uh, once again, I feel we should, in case we have new listeners or you have forgotten, we refer to our show notes a lot. And I know on some podcasts, that's right in your podcasting app. We are not that fancy. Um, We mean our website. Uh, There's just a lot of, like, a lot of uh, GIFs and embedded videos and stuff that we can't put in the podcast app. There is a link in your podcast app that will take you directly there. Uh, Or you can go to Muppeturgy.com and find everything that way, um, it, it's really fun. If I do so say so myself, we put a lot of cool stuff there that we uh, either don't talk about or that supplements what we've talked about. So check it out.
3: Adam lovingly puts the show notes together, and you should look at them because they are a work of art. Every well,
2: week. thank you, and and with 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 great input from all of you, I you all you, you send me the links, I just put them there. So thanks.
1: Okay now now ask me what I'm carrying the hoop for. Oh Fozzie, what are you carrying the hoop for? Ah, because that little Waldorf dog for always saying the show is hoopless. <laughs> Just for the hell of it. Keep trying. Yeah. Oh
0: boy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppet Turkey. Tune in next week when we'll be discussing the Leo Sayre episode of the Muppet Show. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppet or on the web at MuppetJurgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word with a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus, and this episode was edited by David Lennon.
3: That hat rack is dead now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the lifespan of a hat rack should be.
2: Well, I mean, you know, no one really uses hat racks anymore because nobody wears a hat, and so he, he got very sad. There was no work. It's,
3: Does anybody? I mean, are- I I was just imagining
4: the the hat rack popping up in like an Emmys and Memoriam. <laughs> <laughs> I will remember you, oh, my <laughs> hat rack. the hat
1: rack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh.